Before we get started, just real quick, we are now on Spotify. If Apple Music or SoundCloud really just isn't your style, make sure to look us up as The Rare Petro Podcast on Spotify. Give us a follow and you'll be notified as soon as episodes come out. If that's not your style either, we're also on LinkedIn and make sure to publish every episode update. Follow us there too. Now for the show. This is the Rare Petro Podcast, a podcast for industry professionals and students to quickly gather information by Basin for business happenings, headlines, and trends. Alrighty, welcome back everybody. It is March 18th and we are doing that February recap for you. That's going to be a little bit different looking through those tinted glasses of, uh, what, hindsight. It's going to be strange to be able to look into the past month knowing what happened at the start of March, but right, yeah. we'll try no, to do it objectively. It's, it's good, you know, I think it's good for morale, like living oh, in the past. You know, let me not, tell you what, not, you know what was good for morale? Maybe not the social distancing, but the way I distanced myself into the bottom of a bottle of Jameson's last night. So happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. There we go. Lost a lot of money, won a lot of money. That was my St. Patrick's Day. So, uh, hey, some people are coming out on top. I just know it's not you and me. Not together. <laughs> All right. What do we got up first? Well, starting things off, you know, looking at looking at the scoop stack, you know, we're seeing this virus across China move, uh, I would say, a little bit steadily, uh, COVID-19. And these global events are having a significant impact on Oklahoma's oil industry. Currently, we're looking at, you know, the barrel's still down. We're not, you know, we're not going to comment on what we're looking at currently. But more or less, operators in Oklahoma's oil industry are struggling. We've been talking about Chesapeake. Chesapeake just came out forward talking about how they're cutting their capex further from $2.2 billion per year to $1.6. On the other hand, we know Chesapeake's not doing well. But just to kind of give you another comparison, you've got Continental. See, they've got a lot of drilling going on in the scoop stack. Obviously, they're a big player in the Bakken. They have came forward and also said that they're going to keep their uh, CapEx flat for the year as they continue, um, you know, learning and watching and, you know, seeing how everything develops based off of these global events that are taking place. Mm-hmm. And that was back when, what, oil was up at around $50 a barrel, right? I yeah. mean, demand was decreasing and so were the prices, but nothing too crazy. Yeah, and again, again to our viewers, uh, this is a podcast for the just a recap of the month of February. Should I do that? Actually, no, go for it. Yeah, yeah. So this is this this is a recap for the month of February. Um, currently, we are recording this on the 18th of March. So some of the numbers and some of the terms that you will hear will seem a little bit outdated based on the fact that this is for the month of February. Because uh, what right now I saw WTI hit twenty one dollars today. No, I want to live in this world. Yeah. This podcast. Let's go back world, to February. Yeah, join us. Yeah, back please. to the future. This is it. Back to the future. That's the name of this podcast. That's what we're doing here. All, All right, right. But also, you know, it's uh, frightening. In Oklahoma, Democratic candidates, you know, canvassing. More Sanders, like prowling. Warren. Prowling is more of a key word. Prowling. Telling Oklahomans that they need to ban hydraulic fracturing. Who? You know, okay. That's not a good idea. Who are you speaking to? The people who are doing the fracturing, and, and the who, service companies, yeah, the workers. Who, and who really is doing the speaking? That's what I want to know, right? We're talking about some Democrats. We talked about this last month, Tavis. Uh, which one? Um, it was Warren who was had it, was her, it, yeah. her grubby little fingers huh. dipped into some oil and gas. Yeah, so for any of y'all uh, that missed out last month, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren is uh, representing the great state of Massachusetts, yet she's originally from the great state of Oklahoma where she's had some mineral rights, where she's been making a buck off of oil and gas activity, just up until the point where her campaign started picking up for her first 
Senate seat, and then now her run for presidential uh, for the presidential elections. And yet she's standing on the front lines, standing on the front lines, and just claiming that you know you got to take you got to step against the fossil fuel industry. You know you got to step away from their lies. Well, who's lying, Elizabeth? It's definitely bizarre. Just transfer it right before anyone gets to see, and it's still in the family. Her kids have it. Maybe not her, but it's still. Well, in the they family. are from Oklahoma. You know, they're from Oklahoma. They got to keep it in the family. So, I think you said that last month too. I did too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but moving on over. Just to let our viewers know we've got our uh, Shellhammer, the intern, sitting in the podcast room with us. We're doing great work. We don't give him a mic. Um, you don't want to hear what he has to say. He chooses to not let you hear what he has to say. It's some wisdom, but... Well, hey, he also chooses to have that rat tail sit on his face, but we can't help that either, can we? Oh, you're painting quite a picture. Painting quite a picture. I, you know, I got to you know, I gotta reword that. He's, I, I take that rat tail comment back. He's got a great... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a young Burt Reynolds here right now. I'm jealous. I'm envious. That's, Look like Why that do you think I'm talking there. down on him? Because I'm jealous. Down, Heck, no. That's like that's like five years yeah, worth of progress for me, <laughs> dude. I'm I am Chuck currently. As for the Permian, we've got well, it's strange. Looking back into February, it's completely different. We've got water companies that are trying to up their presence in the Permian Basin because they expect yeah. uh, they expect production, of course, to go up. Even though even back in February, it should not have gone up. Yeah, demand is not meeting supply. But there's lots of companies that are looking to not only reuse, but treat the water so that it can be reused in fracking operations over and over again. Yeah, so that's, uh, you know, you've got, we talked about this also, you know, kind of building mm -hmm. on the story how the need for, you know, all these issues keep coming up in the Permian. And then, you know, eventually some of those are turning into solutions and unfortunately new issues keep coming up and up. But the issue of, you know, getting water and, and now, you know, how to get rid of water. Is, Transportation uh, is, and disposal, yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of coming together because uh, I'm looking at, you know, a news report here about Lane Water Mystery. That's a company based out of Texas. And, you know, the deal that they're making with the state is essentially that not only do they get to, you know, drill for new water and get to sell that water, but now they, they get to obviously uh, clean the produced water, um, essentially treat it, and they also get to reuse that along with the transportation and the disposal part of aspect of things. So I think they're actually, this could kind of move things along a lot faster than we're looking at. And the Permian itself, one of our basins that's been thriving the most since, you know, as far as we can possibly remember, um, you know, back in, back in 14, you know, even earlier than that, you know, it was thought that if you were in the Permian, you had acres in Permian, you, you weren't better off, you know, you were kind of like on a, on a, on a downhill slope basically, but the Permian's, you know, been proven over and over. Um, operators are doing great there. Some of the operators that we've talked about, Diamondback Energy is big there. Parsley is making a name for themselves based out of Austin. Yet, you know, we're looking at news reports with this oil war, you know, whatever they want to call it in the media. It's, you know, with this whole, you know, interactions going on, the geopolitical impacts um, that are possibly coming. You know, we're looking at big guys, you know, big names like Diamondback, you know, and, and Parsley just taking a step back. So we've, we're looking at news reports of how they're cutting down, again, their drilling rigs, uh, the number of drilling rigs, and their uh, frac crews. You know, Diamondback's down from 20 from twenty drilling rigs all the way down to 12, and their frac crews are all the way down to 6. These were options they were taking even before the Saudi Arabia and Russia conflict, so I can only imagine how much further this is going to decrease, especially as prices plummet, because you just can't afford to have frac crews on. You can't afford to be drilling at these prices. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, these guys are in the top 20, you know, of, of uh, the bigger operators in the state of Texas, you know, in terms of uh, the drillers. And, hey, they're they're having to make some changes just so they can, you know, 
kind of stick around this this little market that market change that we're looking at. And you said top 20, but even at the end of that month, we've got, say, top five. In a more conventional area like the Eagleford, yeah. we've only got a couple of companies that can make money at this $30 price point. A couple of those guys, Exxon, Chevron, Occidental, Cronquest, they've been in the Eagleford for a while, but they're the only operators at this point who aren't hemorrhaging money. Yeah, so the Eagleford's already tough, right? They, they have a lot of their own little issues going on um you know some some of the similar things we've seen all across uh, the state of texas but you know we're looking at the numbers here and as of right now like like tavis said you know there's about five companies that are that are destined to survive a 30 30 barrel or you know in today's market a 20 barrel so you know we're going to see going forward who comes out on top but you know looking at these reports ideally what we see is a trend that you know the big guys even you know even they're going to be shook and you know somebody's still going to come out on top. And that's just going to be based off of various factors, you know, how much debt you got and, heck, what kind of land you got left. And then outside of that, looking towards the future even, again, back in February, prices falling from around 50 to 30, even before uh, corona scares and decreased demand, other stuff like that. Lone Star, I want to talk about a power play from them. They went ahead, redid their balance books, and for the year of 2020, they have a total of 7,453 barrels per day of crude oil swapped at an average WTI price of $57.09, as opposed to the current 22. That's insane. That's, that is. That's but, lucky. I mean, I'm sure they're kicking themselves in the foot now saying, why didn't we hedge a little bit more to yeah. get a deal of more barrels per day? But even going into 2021, it's about 7,000 barrels a day at $50. Hey, so that... I get, that's a great call on their part. You know, currently, again, as of today, March 18th, the barrel is at 21 bucks and some change, right? Mm -hmm. So that hedging works out well. Not if not if the market's about to collapse. So even in that even in that scenario, we don't know the impacts that are going to be you know moving forward. What all more changes we're going to be seeing? Um, the uh, the shock to to the demand curve itself. Uh, I don't know how much more that's going to continue to be impacted, but. I would say, man, even in this case, you know, that's a smart move by the, by Lone Star, but you don't you don't know how the market's going to react going forward and how the barrels, you know, the vol volatile environment that we're trading in and all the impacts that we're seeing all across the sides. We're still going to have to wait and see if if these if the companies that are that that they that thought they were better off by hedging can still survive this. And who knows, maybe for some weird reason it'll go the other way as well. Demand will jump up, we'll all agree to produce a little more and 57 will be low for a barrel. I mean, fingers crossed, but exactly right. Know how it plays out. Yeah, and on the other side, you know, we're looking at um, some of the other reports we've talked about earlier. The sweet Tavis is, you know, operators that are looking towards service companies, asking them to cut their rates essentially. And service companies, the big service companies, hell, they need the barrel to stay up as much as the operators do. Also, I mean, um, they're taking so the biggest a, hits of this right yeah. now. So can you imagine cutting your uh, operating cost twenty five percent? Cutting a deal for the other people in the field, servicing operators, and then this happening? Oh, man. Yeah. Oh. And exactly, right? What can you do? And then on one side, you know, you're getting, you're creating a new, you know, a market environment for, for the service guys. You know, you're, you're making more competition occur because there's more and more service companies that are coming in that can kind of perform the job, you know, and they're, they're kind of competing each other for, to get the clientele and, and to offer the better price. You know, we're going to see how that, even that impacts this whole, this whole change going forward. Yeah, it was already competitive just to make money. Now it's going to be competitive to stay alive. Right. 
Looking on over in the great state of Wyoming, things are looking up. The BLM just released their uh, environmental study on a closely watched oil and gas project that essentially provides the companies involved to drill 4,250 additional wells. Uh, in the plan that the BLM put forth, uh, the companies involved, Burl Burlington Resources, essentially have to undertake water management tests, decrease disturbance of critical sage-grouse habitat, and increase the use of directional drilling wells on a multi-use well pad. The whole goal out of this deal is, again, to be able to provide the companies involved a chance to install more wells and for people to provide more energy into the state of Wyoming. I love that. They had some environmental concerns, but they went ahead and said, well, mitigate it through this, this, and this, drilling from one pad directionally, respect these habitats in the water treatment, and go for it. I mean, there's no reason that we can't strike this balance. Yeah, and, and, and the BLM has been great with figuring out that deal, right? They, they always work. They're kind of, you know, friendly to the oil and gas companies. And um, the only thing they kind of had to add was the fact that with enhanced drilling, there's going to be more uh, discharge water that's going to need to be placed in a, in a facility. And that's, that's kind of the concern for the operators involved. And the BLM, you know, kind of made them a deal. Like, hey, do the water management tests. And as long as you're not disturbing the wildlife nearby and, you know, not kind of impacting the water resources, then they're perfectly happy. Yeah, the BLM definitely works their tail off for getting those leases out, but a lot of the time they don't get a lot of the recognition they do deserve. Yeah. They get more hate, and it seems in trouble for what they do. It does. Um, on the other side of things, in the state of Wyoming, uh, coal is still a big name. It still employs as many people as you possibly can imagine, even though it is a declining industry, uh, a little bit at a faster rate than apparently oil and gas seems to be at. But some good news ExxonMobil just proposed that they are going to be opening up a carbon capture plant. And supposedly it is the largest carbon capture plant in the world. And the reason it's great news for the state of Wyoming is obviously they're, they're part of something that's going to be, you know, that's going to help build the future. But it helps provide jobs for the people involved and the communities that, that lived, you know, that live in the southwest Wyoming area. Yeah, it's only likely that coal's going to continue to get phased out hopefully in favor of natural gas, but I do like seeing stuff like this. I think it's great that companies are taking efforts to do carbon sequestration, sequestration. but I think the bigger issue, and this is a, a subject for another podcast entirely, is emissions from agriculture and wasted food. But I could go on a, like a day I mean, on that. If you want to hear a special episode about that, please leave us some reviews, let us know, we'll get it out there you for just you. just let me know. I took a class called... Uh... That sounds like a good one. <laughs> uh, water politics. Water politics. And mm -hmm. I will sit here and tell you what I wrote in my paper to get me a B minus. Oh, I'm sure you worked hard for it. But yeah, maybe no clue. viewers let us know. We'd love to do a little extra segment like that if you're interested. But again, good on ExxonMobil for taking the steps to do some carbon capture and put some more jobs back into the Powder River Basin since it was so heavily coal-based up until pretty recently. Yeah. Something else interesting um, over in Wyoming, uh, we've been reporting about CUDA Oil and Gas and their current plans in the Shannon Secondary Recovery Unit, referred to as the SSRU. Um, something that we want to continue reporting on is uh, what we talked about in the earlier months of November is that CUDA started drilling in about September of 2019, right? 13 wells were drilled and about seven of them are online. What's interesting is that the injection rate for these wells has been higher than what was predicted in reservoir modeling, which kind of good news for everybody involved in the state of Wyoming that 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 increased injectivity kind of implies better productivity 
due to the fact that there could possibly be better permeability in that rock. So interesting news, and uh, you know we're gonna kind of keep monitoring that just to see what that develops further into. Bringing it back to our neck of the woods here in the DJ Basin, or Denver's extraction oil and gas, uh, they reported plans to lay off 20% of their workforce. That's about 60 employees from their headquarters around the DJ Basin. And again, this was right before prices tanked, demand tanked, Saudi and Russia. So I don't know how they're going to revise that, but it's likely that more could come off the top. Yeah, yeah. Extraction said the same thing. Um, their president, CEO, Matt Owens, you know, talking about the fact that it's a challenging commodity environment and, you know, to be to be able to come out on top, this is one of their ways to um, to kind of combat that. Um, just kind of interesting, the day after this news came out that extraction is going to be laying off about 20% of their workforce, extraction stock fell about 9%. So I'm not going to tell you to invest, but I would say don't invest in them. Also, in, in light of other things, I probably wouldn't invest too much right now. It's most likely going to get... A whole lot worse before it gets better. I'd have to agree with that. And hey, there's hoping we come out on top of this too. And also, going to uh, Denver's California, we've got Boulder County. Boulder <laughs> is working to extend the oil and gas moratorium. So if you aren't familiar with uh, the happenings in Colorado, there was Senate Bill 181, which basically uh, kind of rebirthed, I would say, Proposition 112, but uh, phrased it so that counties and cities could make their own decisions based on what setbacks they would want for oil and gas. And so it's been a tough transition already, but it was supposed to end on March 28th, currently uh, March 18th here. But according to a meeting, Boulder could extend this moratorium all the way to July 31st. And that's that's literally so that people involved in this can... They literally have more time to research new oil and gas regulations. So while operators sit and do nothing. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting to me is is what is the fact that they you know, they're having to ask for an extension or, you know, literally just do get their own extension because they're, you know, the parties involved in this entire thing. And, you know, what this shows me is that they, they aren't able to find anything else that they can possibly tack on to to the companies involved in the state of Colorado yet. You know, they're looking for more time to find that one or two Some things justification that, they that would allow them to say, well, limit it because of this. Yeah, I mean, Boulder is just going to, you know, keep being Boulder. So. I mean, maybe maybe it's good that it hit right now and gives operators time to sit and do nothing because a lot of people are taking that, well, not action, but lack of action thereof in order to not yeah. bleed away all of their money. Yeah, and luckily for us, you know, Senate, the Senate Bill 181, it, it helps out the oil and gas um People involved in oil and gas because, you know, every county, you get to control what you want to do. And there's more counties in this state that are oil and gas friendly than yeah, uh, I like that. Boulder. Bring it down from a state level to a little bit more localized. I yeah. Think that's good. We got great people here. Just don't count Boulder as one of the people. <laughs> the Bakken Shale, the time has come. News reports have shown us that there's about five years left until North Dakota hits its peak. As drillers are working more and more towards producing out of the core areas, the core production areas, you know, eventually they're going to have to move on over to the less prolific corners of the oil patch. The North Dakota's Mineral Resources Director, Lynn Helms, agrees to the fact that North Dakota possibly has about five years left to hit its peak drilling. So to me, that means exhausting just the easiest accessible stuff, right? And then we'll start to see a production decline. Yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, I think I, I it's it's not as much as that you know that operators are going to be moving towards a less you know um, 
prolific areas. Based, you know, they they base it off of tiers. You know, it's tier one, uh, two, all the way till four. I think is ba based off of your uh, acreage itself. Um, what what the thing here is that that's where the service companies step in, right? They're out here currently making, um, developing better, faster tools for robbers to still be able to make a buck as they drill in, in, in a tier two acreage rather than tier one. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think obviously, you know, North Dakota has had great drilling activity going on for the longest time. Um, I'm not, I'm not so sure that it's going to hit peak with the way the, uh, with the market's at currently and what the barrel is. But I think this is where the service companies will step it up eventually. And it's going to be, you know, it's going to be the smarter guys essentially that know how to drill in those in that tier two acreage better, quicker, and cheaper than the next company. Yeah. Also, one of the other operators that we've got in North Dakota, Whiting Oil and Gas. Uh, blast from the past again. Looking back, hindsight 2020, they were looking to expand its Lake Robinson oil conditioning facility from 45,000 barrels per day to 65,000 barrels of crude per day. Now, this is a $6 million facility uh, that they primarily use to heat and sort out the natural gas from the rest of the crude so that it is easier to transport and meets uh, the state's required vapor pressure standards, moving it by pipeline. So really, this was just for mobilization. But again, this was back when pricing was a little bit better than $21 a barrel WTI. So again, probably going to have to reevaluate. It's strange how much can change in just one month. Everyone looking to expand operations or drop just a little bit of their team. And then this. I'm telling you, Travis, I'm starting to like this room a little bit more and more. You know, we're looking at a $20 barrel. Hell, we're sitting here talking about it being 53. Let's not go out, man. No, I want to stay here. Stay right here. <laughs> our little bubble. Yeah. Our little bubble yeah. of February. Somebody grab me a blanket from out there. <laughs> but also, sticking to shale, we're going to move on over to Marcellus. As we mentioned previously, especially in the case of the Permian, Water reuse is going to be the key to the future of shale. So recycling and reusing water, there's a large volume of water to recycle and reuse. A study by the University of Texas showed that between eight shale basins, there was about 160 billion gallons of wastewater in 2017 alone. That's about uh, 250,000 Olympic swimming pools. So just a little shy of that to put that into perspective. So that's, yeah, that's water that water. we it's better to probably treat that. It's going to be more expensive, but rather than just re-injecting in wastewater wells, we should work to reuse that because yeah. I'm still saying that that's going to be blue gold soon and it's going to be harder and harder for oil and gas to get the water that they need to drill if regulations fight them for what's gone on in the past. Yeah, and, and you know, there's other applications for the reuse of this produced water too. Um, you know, we don't have to just of think of oil and gas operations that you know the biggest thing is agriculture you know you kind of brought that up earlier is is the number one source for fresh water fresh water withdrawal in the united states you know any other country all across the board that's that's always been the case for years on end and you know they, they are the number one consumer of water by like a mile and the thing is if we if we kind of employ these applications of being able to reuse and treat this water you kind of have other industry applications for it, whereas to it could be used for irrigation, you know, or livestock, um, you know, kind of use it for actually, you know, for industry purposes, for, you know, for processed water and, you know, other things like that. And I think there's a big market for it. It's just where people aren't just focused there just uh, per se, you know, for right now. Yeah. And then also Pennsylvania, not too happy with Wolf's readjusted budget for the year. Yeah. And, you know, this guy's, this guy's back again. 
I mean, last, asking for more state last involvement. Month, yeah, we yeah. were talking about he wanted to increase the tax on Marcellus Shale operations. Yeah. To 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 some fancy name they called but the Pennsylvania restore restore yeah. Pennsylvania. Yeah, restore yeah. Pennsylvania. Well, uh, heck, I don't know how much more restoration it needs is, is with all the taxes they're adding on. Well, he's looking to uh, increase the spending of about $2 billion and then borrow another $1 billion, large portions of that coming from taxes on waste hauling and much larger taxes on the Marcellus. So, that, sounds, you know, that sounds great. I just want to put that out there for Governor uh, Wolf. Is, is, it a, is that it? Oh, uh, yeah, Wolf? Governor yeah. Wolf. Yeah, yeah. You know, great job asking for more money. Um, was it $2 billion for the state that, that thrives off of the oil and gas industry? And... Um, What's the current market looking like for the oil and gas industry, Tavis? Oh, right now? Are we talking February terms or are we talking March terms we now? We can talk both terms. All right, Does February, it still make it's, sense it's, to get $2 billion in additional spending? No, 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 of course not. And to borrow an additional billion on top, I mean, I don't know too much about, I should stay out of that realm, policy yeah. and budgeting for a state. But still, once Russia, v, Russia versus Saudi Arabia happened, I think this yeah. budget needs to be reanalyzed because Very a lot of the so. taxes he's hoping to get from the Marcellus will simply not be there. Yeah, and you know this this uh, gentleman here um, continued to kind of cut funding to other important programs. Uh, you know things such as the school safety funding. On top of that, you know they're they're cutting down on research for livestock, you know, and consumer consumer health and other other various things that you kind of need for your for the general population and. You know, on one side, you're asking for money in a state that is kind of struggling to get that in from the beginning. And on the other side, you're cutting down funding for things that could possibly help you overcome that issue. Yeah, so, I, uh, I don't think the public will be too pleased with that I don't, legislation, I don't think that so budgeting either. plan. Yeah. So. This might be, uh, we might just have to say goodbyes to Governor Wolf today. Yeah, we'll see what happens yeah. there, but... I don't think he's coming back. Outside of governor's budgeting, we've also got some operators in California taking a look at some of their budgeting. The CRC, California Resource Corporation, has seized their investment in its internally funded field of development and growth projects until the company sees a higher degree of market clarity. Again, back in February, our little dreamland, when things we thought were bad, but they weren't as bad as they could be. Yep. I'm, st I'm, st I'm still telling you, I don't want to leave this room. Oh, I feel that. I mean, these sales, along with the March hedges that they have, are supposed to raise about $76 million, which is going to keep them afloat for a little bit. Yeah. But still, everyone's everyone's reevaluating their future plan. Yeah. Hey, and uh, Kern, Kern County, they're, uh, they're kind of dead middle of that same decision, too. Um, we're, we're getting reports that Kern County is, has essentially violated the California Environmental Quality Act by failing to fully evaluate and disclose the environmental damage that would occur as a result of the county's plan to permit up to 72,000 wells over the next 25 years. Now, knowing the um, wonderful state of California, I can almost guarantee you that the California Environmental Quality Act was probably created like last month. Uh, to, you know, it, it's probably something similar to that. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to miss, uh, Speak there, but. Yeah, it's also frustrating that Kern County will lose the right to lease land and the permits, actually, not leasing, but permitting, will go back to state authorities. Who are those state authorities we've been talking about for so long? The guys that keep getting fired, slash let go, slash yep. leaving. And then after that, it moves up to Newsom, who has done what so far? Shit. Yep, absolutely nothing. So it's not looking too hot for Kern County. And I, I don't like the way that this uh, this was phrased environmental harm i mean right off the bat it's making oil and gas look evil right 
but yeah, there's and, and the thing this environmental harm and damage is is what their thought process is as to as to what this uh, ruling like this ordinance would do in the next 25 years and they're not going to look at a new apartment facility going up and say, oh, what are the environmental damage and implications of this? Yeah, in they a state, will not care. Yeah, in a state where they can't focus on the laws to make and what to operate within on a day-to-day basis, they're, you're telling me their studies are so accurate that their predictions for 25 years on forward? I don't, I'm not really sure as to how much I would trust their their analytical skills and understanding. Oh, it's biased for sure. It this is biased is, yeah, for it, sure. And, and it, you know, it's the same it's the same thing we've seen out of the out of the playbook from from the state. You know, it's just tossing a few environmental health concerns and and you know attack on a few protesters and you know just have Gavin Newsom be the face of the whole thing and you just shut down another operator. So we'll just see how that kind of ends up being. And that uh that about wraps up this month's basin breakdown. So again, February bubble. Thanks for joining us for thirty minutes of bliss. Going back to when Thank things were listening. okay. <laughs> yeah, this is uh this is a great moment. Great thirty minute talk. I still uh still hoping that we can stay within it. Yeah, but we're gonna step back to reality. Everyone, keep working. Keep doing what you got to do. Wash your hands. Don't Please, give up. Please, for the love of God, start washing your hands. Yeah. Why weren't you guys washing hands I, from the I beginning? Know. I still uh, see it. It's well when when we had school. There's people walking out the bathroom after you know. Dude, get those hands you, damp. You, shake them off. I don't. Even, we don't even have to talk about school. Shellhammer, <laughs> the intern center right here. Yeah, I've seen him. I've seen him flat out get snacks out of that little rat stash that he's got sitting on his face. Well, that's just, just convenience at that point. Did you wash your hands? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but again, thanks for sticking with us and uh, keep your heads up. We're gonna be fine. Thank you for listening. See you later.